Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We are excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Rosenthal, and you're listening to All in a Day's Work. Today, we have Shelby Engdahl joining us. Shelby, thanks so much for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So, Shelby, you're actually currently a student, but you've already made some serious headway in your career, and I'd love to start there. Can you tell us a little bit briefly about what you've been studying at NYU and a little bit about some of the projects and roles you've taken on outside of school? Sure. So I'm an incoming senior, double majoring in public policy and history. And outside of school, I've been mostly focused on legislative and advocacy work with the California State Legislature, a couple different branches of Planned Parenthood, a congressional campaign, and then more recently, a gender equity bill out of California. Those are some really exciting professional experiences. And I want to talk about those, but First, I just want to know a little bit more about your studies. How are you managing to keep working towards your degree while also taking on all of these other demanding experiences? Definitely. So my studies have definitely shifted around since I started at NYU. I actually entered as a global liberal studies student and really loved it. And it gave me the opportunity to spend my first year in Paris. But I realized my passion's really pulled me to public policy, and I transferred to CAS to study that. But then this past fall is really where it shifted. I was offered a full-time position on a congressional campaign I was interning for, and I just had to jump at that, which meant taking a step back from my studies. The experience and the growth it would give me just took priority, and I became a part-time student. So I just took a couple classes in the morning before work, but definitely stepped back from what I was used to as a full-time student. So over the last year, a lot of people have had to change their schedules, their career trajectories, and, you know, adapting to that can be a little stressful, especially if it means changing what you're studying, maybe not graduating when you expect to, or even just generally having your college experience look a little different than what you had imagined. You mentioned dropping down to part-time studies. How did you know that that was the right opportunity for you to take on this professional experience? For me, it's been all about evaluating which route would be the most impactful for me, both personally and professionally. So similar to when I decided to switch majors, I just had to take a step back and look at everything I would be gaining from taking the time to be part-time instead of full-time. Luckily, I was actually able to maintain the same graduation date with just figuring out how I could work my schedule, but I saw a chance to build my network, learn a lot, and gain real-world experience in what I was studying, so I knew it would be worth it in the end. It was scary, but I knew that the payoff would be just enormous. How did you develop this interest in policy and activism? What was the thing that got you started? So early on in high school, I had actually joined this huge youth and government program run by the YMCA in California, but that was even just largely for resume building at first. What really got me into activism was actually my twin sister coming out to 
my family, my community. Where I'm from is pretty conservative. And over time, as I became closer to her and to our Queer Alliance Club, I noticed a lot of the issues and discrimination against the LGBTQ community and my community, but also in the state, in the country, in the world. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I decided to DM the California Legislative LGBTQ Caucus because I wanted to make a change. I wanted to help. So I messaged them asking to talk about it and to talk about what needed to be addressed. And we soon scheduled a meeting. And so eventually I was sitting in an assembly member's office with two legislative staffers who I actually got to know a lot better later when I interned for Senator Scott Weiner, who was the chair of the caucus. But that was really, I guess, my first jump into policy and advocacy was starting that meeting and taking that step into the legislative realm, I guess. That's so impressive. And I think a lot of the time people can feel so intimidated to take something that is a passion and think about how to create a career out of that. And I I really do think that you've managed to accomplish that. And so early in your career, I think a lot of people who are listening to this might just find that a little bit mystifying. Like, how do you manage to develop all of these connections besides maybe sending a DM to folks? Sure. So first of all, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Largely, the biggest thing has been making the effort and realizing the value in relationships. So wherever I worked, or even in different classes or extracurriculars, I've made it a priority to genuinely become friends with my team, my professors, my advisors, because not only do I just want that personally, I want that friendship and that means a lot to me, but they also end up paying off enormously professionally. So friends or mentors or people that you're close to want to help you in any way possible. And I know I feel the same way towards them. Even if I don't work with someone closely or I just decide to meet them on a platform like the Violet Network through school for an informational interview or something, building that relationship has still meant so much to me on a personal and professional level. So keeping in touch, asking questions, sending personal updates, really just making the effort to build relationships and showing people that they matter to me has just created kind of a waterfall effect of different opportunities. Informational interviews are such a great way to meet people and learn about industries or learn about roles that you're interested in. A lot of people, though, can be kind of intimidated by that process or just not sure how to actually prepare for those. Just from your experience, what is some advice that you would have for somebody who's maybe getting started or feeling a little nervous? How do you figure out who to reach out to? How do you prepare for the interviews, etc.? Definitely. So, I mean, for example, if we're thinking about just jumping onto the Violet Network, what I do is look into different companies or industries I'm interested in, in the little search column, just because I'm thinking about, okay, where, where would I like to learn about? What different roles would I like to learn about? And so from there, I get a list of different people who have that company, industry, or experience listed in their profile, and I just reach out. So it can be awkward figuring out what to say, but generally something I would message along the lines of, Hi, my name is Shelby. 
I'm a rising senior at NYU and I'm really interested in this career path. I would love to learn more about what you do and your experience at wherever they work at or have worked at that you're interested in. Would you have time this week or next for a call? And after they accept it, or if they do accept it, which generally they're pretty open to, I'll generally come up with a list of questions about that role and steps towards getting there. So I've asked, for example, about grad school, because that's been a big question for me personally. Is that a good step for me? When would that be a good step for me? Different experiences I should gain, how to get in the space that they're in. Just kind of creating my map, they help me fill in the blanks. So something that you mentioned earlier about not just getting to know people and and networking and things like that, but really building relationships. Relationships take time to build. Sometimes people feel like, well, I don't have the time to do things like that, or I don't have the time to follow up with people. So they're just sort of going through having one initial conversation and not really building that, that conversation. What advice would you have for people about not just that first conversation, but how to follow up and maintain that relationship over time? I'd say kind of treat it like potentially a distant family member. So you're sending life updates or different questions. For example, when I wrote an op-ed that I was really passionate about and got published in the Sacramento Bee, I sent it to a few people I had talked to about, about my passions and about my career path and keeping them updated. They love to hear those updates. They're never going to be upset that you sent them a question or update. I think it's just a simple check-in every once in a while and just making that effort, even even if you need to schedule out emails. I love scheduling out emails, but if it's on the mind and you want to schedule out an email checking in, that's another great idea. But small updates are really all it takes. We'll be right back to our episode after this quick tip from Joseph Mercadante. Networking can be scary, but it doesn't need to be. That's why we've launched the Violet Network as a way to bring the NYU community together to connect and network all in one place. If you're a student, you can go on the platform and explore the community by connecting with peers or other alumni to ask questions about jobs, internships, career journeys, industry insights, anything that'll really help you get on track. You can also post a question on a discussion board to get your question answered by multiple people all at once. You can also join some groups on the platform. We have identity-based and region-based groups to connect and gain resources and really learn about how other peers and other alumni have overcome challenges. This is a really great platform for you to take advantage of, make the most of your career, and really take it to the next level by activating your NYU network. And now, back to the episode. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the actual work that you've been doing in the field. So you mentioned being on a campaign last fall. Can you talk a little bit about what your role was and some of your responsibilities? Sure. So I actually started out as a field fellow, which is basically just an internship. And I was doing that for a while in the summer. But when a position opened up, I ended up applying for and becoming a field organizer. 
And so in that position, I was responsible for two different cities of volunteers and pulling them in and bringing them to different phone banks or different activities. And so managing a lot of those relationships and managing major teams of volunteers. So we recruited and built volunteer leadership teams. We had them then build the teams more. And so coming up with that strategy, but then also persuading voters, making calls and training people was a big part of what we were doing. It was a lot of pressure and a lot of stress in a very short amount of time, but it was definitely worthwhile and such a great experience. I can't imagine what it must be like to be handling something with such a a tight turnaround. But I imagine it also was probably unusual for the campaign in the sense that so much of the organizing really had to be done remotely. So what was the experience like with having to figure out how to do all of this work remotely and overcoming any obstacles that can present when working in a virtual space? There were definitely some challenges in contacting and in not having those physical, personal relationships with volunteers. So you weren't having the campaign headquarters where you could just have little side conversations about their camping trip or their weekend. It was a lot more just in and out rather than casual kind of relationship building between different events. So that definitely became a challenge, and we had to work on creating those spaces to get to know the team and different volunteers and trying to, again, build those relationships because relationships are what keep people going on a campaign. And so we had to just fill in those blanks and fill in those spaces with different opportunities to try to make up for the experiences that were lost. But I think we made up for it. I think we rolled with it and really made the most of it. So it was hard, but again, my team and I, we were super close and we were able to to get through it. So you're talking about this closeness with your team, your coworkers, and even your supervisor, and also just that importance of building community for the volunteers. That's absolutely something that has been impacted by the switch to remote work as well, that opportunity to build connections with those people that you're working with. Can you talk a little bit about some of the steps that you were taking to build the community for your volunteers and also getting to know, you know, your coworkers and your supervisor all at the same time? Definitely. So every day we had our field checkout call where we had kind of the chance to share about our days, the highs, the lows. And I think that even really helped. But every morning, my supervisor and our more regional team had our daily check-ins. And we had questions of, what's your favorite kind of pie that we built into our check-ins to just get to know each other and have some fun. And by the end of it, with our last check-in, it was so sad because we had, even with just these fun little morning questions, morning discussions, we built such important relationships. And so I think incorporating some fun, incorporating some getting to know you, even some icebreakers, as awkward as they can be sometimes, those actually really do help. Could you talk a little bit more about 
your relationship with your supervisor. You know, what have you learned about what makes a good supervisor and how does this impact what you're going to look for from a supervisor in the future? Definitely. So I'll name him my supervisor, Eric. He was my regional organizing director and he was just amazing. We're still friends now. He had our morning check-in. I was his first check-in every morning just 10 minutes of outlining my goals and how I was going to accomplish them, coaching me, really training me how to do these things and making sure I knew where I was at and where I needed to be. He gave me goals that he knew I could reach, that care and that passion for for growth and for teaching and for goal setting. I was just so shocked at myself because I didn't know that I could do all of that. I didn't know that I could accomplish it. And so, so grateful for him. I think that it sounds like you've done so much great stuff. And you're obviously still pretty new to the workforce. And you had some volunteers who already had graduated from college that were actually reporting to you. And I imagine that must have been you know, difficult to adjust to being in this position of authority. Can you talk a little bit about if you ever had to deal with things like imposter syndrome? All the time, even thinking back to that conversation with my supervisor, at the end of it, I couldn't believe that I that I had done it. I didn't think I was ever going to get to the end of the campaign. I There were so many goals that I saw my coworkers being able to hit because they had had political experience or policy experience even, just more experience than myself in the field and I could see them hitting it. They had graduated school and I was still 19, fresh out of my freshman year, so scared about having to measure up. And I didn't think I could, but with that coaching and with my own abilities, I had to realize that I could and find my space and find my power and find my voice. And that took a moment, even in different events where I had to lead some trainings and lead, let's say, 60 or 70 people via Zoom who were a lot more experienced than myself in the community, in politics, and just all those spaces. Seeing my place and that I had gotten to be a field organizer and I took on that role for a reason. And so there was definitely some imposter syndrome that I had to get past. But I think once I did It was incredibly empowering. So my last question is, you know, I know you're going into your senior year at NYU, but what's next? It's a great, great question. And sometimes it feels like there isn't an answer. And, you know, there probably isn't an answer. But I would love to keep up my work in women's advocacy, LGBTQ plus advocacy. And the dream would be to be at the UN with UN Women one day. But continuing this advocacy, continuing my drive for impact, and hopefully getting my my bill passed through the Assembly, the Senate, and then signed by the governor would be the dream. So overall, going to keep trying to move forward and just make a difference, make the biggest difference I can. Well, it sounds like you've already done so many amazing things. I wish you the best of luck in whatever comes next. Thanks so much for joining us today, Shelby. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time and making the space for me to share. 
This has been All in a Day's Work. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sarah Rosenthal. See you next time. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log onto our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Sarah Rosenthal with episode guest, Shelby Engdahl. We're produced by Miriam Miller and Lily Smith, edited by Lily Smith, and created with support from Mia Beresford, Danielle Crystal, Haley Garofalo, Diana Mendez, Joseph Mercadante, and Carrie Pannoni. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.